Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, Emmanuel. How are you feeling this morning? It is good to be here. If this is your first time here at Greenwood or at Banta or at Garfield Park or at Franklin, or if this is your first time watching online, we want to welcome you. My name is Danny. Can we give it up for all of our first-time guests and viewers right now? Welcome. Thank you for accepting someone's invitation. They invited you because they love you and they care about you and they want you to hear what's going on uh, at Emmanuel. And so we are actually wrapping up a series today called Made to Give. This series was sparked by a book that I read uh, several months ago called The Second Mountain by David Brooks. And in this book, if you have not been here, just a quick summation of the argument that he makes is that our country today or individuals in our country today are suffering from a crisis of loneliness, a crisis of loneliness, and, and that essentially has been, has been triggered by this embracing of what he calls hyper-individualism. Now, in our country today, many people are suffering from uh, thoughts of suicide. In fact, 45,000 people every single year commit suicide, an additional 72,000 folks every year overdose on drugs. Anxiety and depression are through the roof. Uh, for the third year in a row, the Center for Disease Control said that the, the lifespan of an American has been shortened for the third year in a row. And a lot of that is because of this thing called loneliness, which was created by hyper-individualism. Hyper-individualism is essentially what he would call a first mountain life, like living on the first mountain, that happiness is going to come from me getting my own, from me achieving my dreams and my hopes and satisfying my desires. It's all about me. Mountain number one is basically the mountain of narcissism, and that's what crushes the human spirit. And the solution to this problem, he says, is to shift over to climb the second mountain. And on the second mountain, we find something deeper than happiness, and that's this thing called joy. Joy being a pervasive sense of well-being. And it doesn't come the way happiness comes on the first mountain. It comes by giving. It comes by serving. It comes by loving people around you, by looking outside of yourself. And so that's the argument that he makes in the book. And if we're going to make that switch from a first mountain life to a second mountain life, we're going to have to, in week number one, we talked about dying to ourselves. Jesus said, whoever clings to his life will lose it, but whoever gives his life away for my sake will find it. He said it is better to give than it is to receive. So we're going to have to die to ourselves. And then last week we talked about we're going to have to commit. On the first mountain, we don't want to commit. We don't want to commit to a marriage. We don't want to commit to a church. We don't want to commit to a faith. We don't want to commit to a company. We don't want to commit to friends. We stay detached from the first mountain because we don't want to go all in because it's all about us, right? On the second mountain, is, there's a lot, this is a life of deep and loving commitments to a person, to a church, to a faith, to a company, and that's how we climb the second mountain. So today what I want to talk about is this third concept that will move us from first mountain living to second mountain living. And that is this idea of suffering. In your notes, I wrote it like this, suffering. 
allow, we must allow suffering to move us from the first mountain to the second mountain. Suffering, not a popular topic to talk about. And not quite, to be quite honest, I was surprised that he even brought it up in the book. Like suffering, like how does suffering move us from the first mountain living to the second mountain living? Well, all of us are going to suffer, right? Every single one of us are going to go through pain. No one gets through this life without some level of suffering. And it's actually true that many people do come out better because of suffering. They get deeper, they, they grow stronger, they become more mature because of suffering. But that's not always the case. It's not a given that pain will actually make us better or that some type of tragedy or suffering will develop us into a stronger person. In fact, I wrote it like this in your notes. Suffering actually requires a response. It's not automatic that suffering or tragedy will turn us into something better. We must respond correctly in order for that to happen. In the book, David Brooks says this. He says, none of us can avoid suffering, but we can all choose how we respond. In fact, I would say it like this. We all must choose how to respond. If we don't respond correctly to the suffering and the tragedy in our life, it'll actually turn into something negative in our lives. See, some people get better when they go through pain and suffering. Some people get bitter. Do you know anybody like this? Some people grow tender and compassionate as they go through pain and suffering. Some people get hardened and anger takes over their life. Do you know anybody like that? Some people draw closer to God through suffering and they learn to trust him more. Some people actually walk away from their faith because of pain and tragedy and suffering. Know anybody like that? Is that you? Some people will, will find deeper meaning in life and then other people will become overwhelmed and discouraged because of pain and suffering. Some people will grow in generosity and, and, and look outward and look to, to help other people through their pain. And others will grow inward and they'll turn to this thing called self-pity and woe is me. Know anybody like that? See, it's not automatic that pain transforms us. It's not a given that suffering will make us better. We must choose for that to happen. In the scriptures in 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking about this group of Christians that he's uh, called the Macedonians. He's using them as an example to help the Corinthians, another group of Christians, to live a generous life. Listen to what he says about the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into this thing called, say it with me, rich generosity. That's odd, don't you think? Normally, when people go through a severe trial or some type of deep poverty, it doesn't result in rich generosity. No, they're thinking about themselves. They hoard their stuff. They say, I don't have enough to share. But these particular Christians are going through something terrible and severe, and it results in them thinking of others and giving to others, even though they themselves are very poor. How does that happen? How does that work? Wouldn't that be awesome if this could be written about you when you're dead and gone? <laughs> And their extreme poverty and difficulty and trial, they gave, they thought of others. How can we make that work? I want to give you three ideas today that will help us to move from the first mountain to the second mountain so that tragedy and suffering, when it hits us, and it will, will actually move us to that second mountain. Number one, suffering. We have to understand these, two, these three things. Suffering breaks self-sufficiency. Suffering brings self-sufficiency to an end. See, we're all born into this world, especially in America, under this illusion that we can do it ourselves. Anybody raising kids? You know, your, 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 your eight-year-old gets the sweatshirt stuck on their head and they can't get it off, and you go over and you try to help them, and they're like, get off of me! I'll do it my 
self. What is that? It's like, daddy's right here. I can't have, you're struggling. You're going to, you know, suffocate to death. Let me help you get this sweatshirt off your head. Oh, I can do it myself. <laughs> We're all under the illusion of, of self-sufficiency. What God will do, God will allow suffering to come into our lives to break self-sufficiency. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul was going through something very difficult, maybe a shipwreck. Maybe he was, it was, was during one of the riots where he got beat up and stoned. Listen to what he says. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of, de- of death. In other words, this was the last day we had on earth. And then he says why it happened. Why did this difficult thing happen in his life? This happened that we might not trust or rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. See, God will use suffering to get us to look past ourselves. Through suffering, God will bring us to the end of our rope where we have to look out to get that help from someone else, God or another person. In the book, Brooks talks about it like this. Suffering shatters the illusion of self-sufficiency, which is an illusion that must be shattered if any interdependent life is going to begin. Not independent, Not I can do this all myself. See, on the first mountain, it's all about you doing your thing, reaching your goals by yourself. That's independence. If an interdependent life is going to take place, this illusion of self-sufficiency must be crushed. God crushes it through suffering. We we suddenly come to the end of our rope. We reach out to, to someone else for help. They help us, and we go further faster together. And uh, suddenly we come to this realization that in the same way that you helped me get through my pain, now I can help you. And we move over to the second mountain because we realize that other people need our help in the same way we needed their help. Is this making sense? God breaks self-sufficiency through suffering and moves us from first mountain living to the second mountain living. Number two, what does God do through suffering? God, through suffering, reveals just how shallow our ambitions are. On the first mountain, it's all about you, your dreams, your hopes, your aspirations, your achievements, getting yours, right? Well, come on. It's a big world out there. There's seven and a half billion of us out there today. Life cannot be about your little mountain. Has this occurred to you yet? Like, there's lots of things going on there, lots of people to consider, lots of people that need help. And so God will shatter your ambitions by bringing some suffering into your life. When you suddenly experience pain, there's, pain is a clarifier. It helps you to understand that, man, my dreams are so small. They're so tiny. It's all about me. Pain clarifies things. It helps you to see what's most important in your life. Listen to how Brooks describes it in the book. After seasons of suffering, we see that the desires of the ego are very small. First mountain desires. They're very small desires and certainly should not be the ones we organize our lives around. Your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations. We talked about this a little bit last week with Ruth. It wasn't about her dreams anymore of remarrying somebody and having a family. You know, she stayed with Naomi. Why? She was on the second mountain. She got, she got past herself. Suffering does that. Listen to what, uh, what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 71. My suffering was good for me. You don't hear that a lot. <laughs> hey, let me tell you why my suffering was really good for me. Why was it really good for me? Because it taught me to pay attention to decrees. It taught me to pay attention to what was most important. In a couple years past, we supported a girl named Katie Davis. She wrote a book called Kisses from Katie. At 18 years old, listen up, students. At 18 years old, she took a trip to Uganda. And although she didn't suffer her pain herself, she saw the pain of of the kids there, orphans walking all around, kids that couldn't afford to go to school, kids that didn't have parents. It crushed her. Listen to what she writes in the book. Originally, my quitting was, was to be temporary, lasting just one year. She was 18 when she went. 
before I went to college and then return, returned to normal American teenager life. But after that year, which I spent in Uganda, returning to, quote, normal wasn't possible. I had seen what life was about, and I could not pretend I didn't know. So I quit my life again, and this time for good. I quit college. I quit cute designer clothes and my little yellow convertible. I quit my boyfriend. I no longer had all the things the world said are important. I do not have a retirement fund. I do not even have electricity some days. But I have everything that I know is important. I have a joy and a peace that are unimaginable and can only come from a place better than this earth. What happened to Katie? The pain and suffering of others wrecked her life. It moved her from the first mountain, the American dream, to the second mountain. She moved over there, and she started this organization where for $300 per kid, a kid could go to school and have clothes for the whole year. And then she went on and adopted 13 of her own little babies. A lot of them are grown up now. This is the most recent picture of Katie and her husband. They have a child together. All of these kids are her adopted children. Big family. What happened to Katie? She got wrecked by the pain, the suffering that she saw, and it moved her from the first mountain to the second mountain. This is what we're talking about. Pain reveals the shallowness of our first mountain ambitions. Making sense? Let me talk to you about this third one, number three. How else does suffering move us from first mountain to second mountain? Number three, in your notes, I wrote it like this. Suffering connects you to the pain of others. It's probably the most important one. You go through something difficult, the loss of a spouse, the loss of a, a father or a mother from cancer. You, 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 you have this massive bankruptcy, this financial setback. You lose the job. Maybe you even lose a child. And you're on the first mountain and everything was going well and all of a sudden you come face to face with this deep pain that enters your life. And your eyes are open now, because now you see that there are hundreds and thousands, if not millions of people that are experiencing the same pain that you have, and you can't go back to normal life. You're now aware, your senses are open, you see all these people in pain, because you have felt the pain. This is what God does through suffering, and through that, he moves you to this second mountain. He tenderizes your heart, and compassion grows. Listen to how David Brooks talks about it in the book. Suffering puts you in solidarity with others who suffer. It makes you more sympathetic to those who share this or some other sort of pain. In this way, it tenderizes the heart. See, over here on the first mountain, it's like, you know people, you know people have pain. The world has pain. But man, you got, your, you got your goals, baby. You don't have time for that. It's all about me and how much money can I make and what can I buy my next car and my next house and you know, it's all about your dream and all of a sudden, the pain hits you. And you, sh and you shift because you realize you can no longer go back to life as normal. You mean there's hundreds of thousands of people living with the same pain, this cancer, the loss of a child and you move and you shift because your pain connects you to the pain of others. I want to introduce you to somebody right now who's, who has lived this out. My talk is fine. I think everything I've shared with you is true. It's okay. But man, when you hear from somebody who actually did what I'm talking about, that's a game changer. Her name is Susan. 12 years ago, she went through the tragedy of all tragedies. She lost a child, not just a child, but her only child. I helped her. Our church helped her walk through that terrible time in her life. I asked her if she'd be willing to share her story. She's never shared it publicly in this platform before. She agreed to do that. I want you to hear Susan's story right now.
Susan, thank you so much for being here with us today and being willing to share your story and to sit down in front of our entire church and open up your life to us. Thank you for that. Thanks um, for having me. Yeah. You have lived through what most people would consider to be the most difficult uh, challenge for any, a human being and certainly any parent. Back in 2009, on May 22nd, you lost your, your son Noah, your only son Noah, to a tragic accident. Would you share with us a little bit, you know, what happened and what that was like emotionally, physically, and even spiritually? Yes, so as you can imagine, it was uh, the most horrific thing that I've ever been through. Um, we were on vacation in Europe and we'd made our way through Italy and we got to Switzerland and we're gonna spend the weekend in a little valley town called Lauterbrunnen. Mm -hmm. We got there and checked in and then went to do some sightseeing. We went up to a tourist attraction called uh, Trommelbach Falls and there's 10 waterfalls in this mountain and I mean, they're just huge waterfalls and water falling through them at like 500 gallons per second. It's mm. just crazy. Can't even really fathom it. Um, so we, it's, it was wet and dark and, you know, wet from the, the overspray and um, we wound up all the way to the top and um, and then they announced shortly after we got there that they were getting ready to close and we all needed to, to start coming down. So, and then there were hundreds and hundreds of people, um, probably thousands. There were tourists and several tour buses and uh, just very crowded. So, and everyone was coming down at the, the same time. So, um, as we got down, um, somehow, um, I don't know if he slipped on the, the slick pavement or, or what, but somehow Noah fell into the waterfalls. And we, we couldn't find him. And they closed the park and had um, search and rescue there. Uh, all the, the police and the, the helicopters, the divers that uh, went in diving for him. By this time it's dark. Um, they, they just searched all, all night and into the next week and um, finally had to say that um, you know they couldn't they couldn't dive anymore. It was it was too risky. Uh, the waters were getting higher and higher and um, it was too difficult and um, we had found throughout the week a couple of, of his um, items, one of his shoes and uh, the shorts that he had on. Mm. So we were confident that he was in there. We just couldn't get to him. So uh, about 10 days of that, and they finally uh, came to us, the authorities, and said that um, I needed to go home. And um, they had built a metal fence at the bottom of the falls in case he did come out on his own, um, it would catch him. And they said either one of two things would happen, he would come out on his own, or we could uh, come back in October from the fall 
and they would dive again mm -hmm. and search for him. So they, they said I needed to needed to go home and wow. yeah, it was super hard to have to to leave and and leave him there. Um, but I uh, didn't want to. I wanted to stay um, and take him home with me, but soon realized that wasn't a possibility and just couldn't imagine how I would go on and live life without it. I just sure <laughs> wouldn't be able to make it. And uh, here we are 12 years later. <laughs> couldn't get through one day and think that it was possible back then, but uh, it's hard to believe that been gone 12 years but we we came home as they directed us and we started his um, celebration of life here at the church and uh, Noah's soccer player his number was 28 and ironically 28 days later after the accident um, they called and he had come up on his own oh. and so they sent him home so I would say, uh, gosh, emotionally, I was, I was broken. I was um, lost, um, empty, uh, this incredible emptiness in, inside that um, was there all the time, never, never went away. Hard to function. Couldn't do basic tasks like go to the grocery or fix dinner. Um, lost all interest in anything that I uh, used to love to do. Um, and thankfully, I had family that was there with me to get me through life at that time. And uh, my sister Brenda was a, my rock for several years after after the accident. Um, physically, I just ate. I just uh, physically hurt. My heart just physically hurt. Um, like you felt it. Yeah, I could just feel that that pain. That was just it was just indescribable. Mm -hmm. you know, think of a a broken heart. You know the term, but never really realized the physical pain of, of the heart hurting. That is incredible. Um, you know, when you talk about the, the physical pain and the emotional pain, um, I just can't imagine that personally. Um, how, how did that affect your relationship with God at that time um, spiritually? What did that do? to you, just the, the tragic loss of your son? Um, so spiritually, I would certainly say that that my relationship with God just grew stronger, mm. uh, grew closer to Him. Um, I couldn't uh, get enough um, knowledge. I was reading everything I could on, on uh, heaven. Mm. I just needed a better understanding of where Noah was. I knew he was good, 
and knew he was with God, but I just needed to understand it a little bit better. So with all of that, reading um, led to more, more and more time in the Word every day and ultimately just a deeper relationship. Hmm. Um, actually, really felt like for the first time a real relationship. So some, some people, when they go through something like that, they actually turn away from God. And you're saying here that, you know, this is something that was a catalyst for you to turn towards Him and actually deepen your faith. How, how did that, I mean, did you have a moment where you were like tempted to just walk away from God because of this? Did you blame Him? Um, I don't ever remember threatening or feeling like I wanted to, to walk away. Um, he was immediately where I went for comfort, mm. and I'm sure at some point I was angry um, mm. with God, but um, that was my source of uh, comfort, and I don't know how people that don't have a relationship with Christ get through anything like that. I know it was the promise that I would see Noah again one day that, you know, I clung to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that gave you hope. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, to think that this this is it. I just don't know how people can think that. When people go through tragedy like this, and it's not always the loss of a son. Sometimes it's uh, the loss of a marriage or, uh, or, or, you know, the loss of a spouse. Many times they, they, um, they come out of it with uh, a, a sense of clarity, a sense of purpose. Um, like it's like things get clear to them about what, what they're put on earth to do. How, did that happen for you? Sh share a little bit. Um, I still don't know how clear my purpose is, but I, <laughs> I think uh, I know what you're asking. I know that um, another thing I couldn't get enough of was um, reading um, books by parents that um, had also lost a child. There was a connection there and it was the only thing that made me feel a little bit better. So um, I read everything I, I could find and um, it helped validate emotions, feelings, reactions to people. Um, but the thing I started to notice about the parents that um, seemed to be able to get to a better place in their life was um, the ones that had found a way to give to others, um, seemed to have a deeper, deeper healing and, and a little sense of purpose in their life. So uh, we started the Noah Creasy Foundation um, to honor Noah's life and to help live out some of that compassion that mm -hmm. he had for others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and I know he would want to to do those kinds of things if he were still here. So um, he had a big heart mm -hmm. for giving to others and others in need, um, especially special needs kids. Mm -hmm. So um, made sense that the Noah Creasy Foundation would follow in those footsteps. And um, we love on families that have special needs children, mm -hmm. and we pick a family every year and help partner with them and raise money for whatever their need is, whether it's a handicapped van or 
wheelchair or equipment or we've done a room addition for a family wow. that needed uh, more room on the main level mm -hmm. for their child. You know, they have a lot of equipment and things that go with it. So, mm -hmm. so I think that hopefully Noah would be proud of, of what we have done in his, in his honor and helping love on those kids. I actually looked on your website to see mm -hmm. your purpose statement uh, of the Noah, the Noah Creasy Foundation, mm -hmm. and it says to support compassionate action and service to others. I see you, I hear you, and today I choose to help. Mm -hmm. And um, that's just wonderful that you have allowed this unbelievably tragic event to um, transform your life into a life of service and generosity towards others. Is there one particular family that sticks out to you that, that you've been able to help that just brings joy to your heart, even thinking about it now? Oh, they all do. They all do. Um, our good friends, um, we've become friends over the years because she's been, after we helped her family, she's turned around and, and helped with the No Creasy Foundation. So um, I would say that family probably warms my heart the most what we've been able to to help with with Allie and and just to make her life a little a little better mm. with the things that she likes to do yeah. so um today you are now a mother again I am. Uh, <laughs> a little boy tell us about him and uh this the okay. little bit of, of the story of what story god has yeah. done for you so yeah, um, a few years after uh, Noah's accident, God laid it on my heart to uh, to want to adopt, mm -hmm. and my husband Scott was uh, not quite there at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we prayed about it, and lots of discussions, lots of tears, um, and God touched his heart and. We decided to become foster parents, licensed foster parents. Um, so we're sitting in the family room one day and they called and said, um, would you take an infant? Which surprised us because we were older. And so we said, when we felt the paperwork, they tell you, know, you ask them, they ask you what, what age group you want. And we'd said older. So anyway, mm -hmm. I immediately said, yes. That was a little <laughs> hesitant. <laughs> But we uh, got to go to the hospital and uh, feed him and love on him. And we immediately fell in love with our little boy and brought him home a week later. And then two years later, our adoption was finalized. And he's five and he's thriving. And funny, it started out with us giving to help him and God's turned it all around and he's really the one that's helped us. Hmm. Well, you're making me cry, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you can't cry. Yeah, so he's our miracle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so mm -hmm. much uh, for sharing, opening your heart. I know this was challenging and difficult to, to talk about this and uh, but I believe you you have brought joy to us and brought encouragement to us by opening your heart and your story. And so we love you. And uh, thank you again for sharing today. Thank you.
Is that not a wonderful story? Amen. God wants to move us from the first mountain to the second mountain. He's even willing to allow pain to come into our lives to do that, to break us of the self-sufficiency, to reveal the, the shallowness of our ambitions, to connect us to the pain of others. The story of what God is telling here is, is way bigger than the first mountain. It's way bigger than my dreams, my hopes, my goals, the next thing you buy, whatever it is, you, you know, affirmation, whatever you're looking for. The story is much bigger than that. God wants you to find joy by giving your life away in service to others, by living a life of rich generosity. You get to choose. I'm gonna ask you a question you probably didn't think I would ask today. I always like to pose a question to help you to ponder and take action on what you heard today. This is a bit of an odd question, but where's your suffering taking you? Is it taking you towards self-pity? Woe is me. Is it taking you towards anger? Is it hardening your heart? We all have levels of suffering. Not all of us have lost a son or child, but there's something going on in your life that's producing pain. Where's it, where's it taking you? Is it taking you to a, a place of discouragement, being overwhelmed, or is it transforming you? and giving you a heart of compassion, connecting you to the pain of others? Is it developing in you a bigger heart for those who are experiencing the same pain you are? That is our choice. Some people become bitter and some people become better. And that's the choice that we get to make. Susan made a choice to move her life into this area of rich generosity through the Noah Creasy Foundation, what will you choose? And in that decision, I'm telling you, Susan found joy, a joy that she had not known before, that only comes through giving to others. What will you choose to do? Now, as a church, you know, we try to help and encourage you to, to be generous. There's several things you can be generous with, your time and your money. You can give your time and your money to whoever and whenever you want. But as a member of our church, we encourage you to give an hour of your time to the impact team, to practice generosity by just serving an hour a week, serving by parking cars or making coffee or watching kids or helping with the children's ministry or being up here on the platform, doing lights or sound. There's so many things across all of our campuses that you can jump in and just give an hour a week, one hour a week to join the impact team. If you'd like to do that, I wanna encourage you to text the word TEAM to 65248 and sign up for our next impact team night, which is December 14th. That's there you'll find out where your best fit will be and you'll learn a little bit more about what it looks like to have one of these red shirts on where you see all these folks around serving and giving, just being generous with their time, giving back instead of just receiving. You can also be generous with your finances. God has put finances in your pocket, in your bank accounts. If you have any money whatsoever in your pocket, you'd say, well, I wish I had more. I wish God would put more in there. Maybe he will if you practice some generosity. If you have any money in your pocket or any money in your accounts, it's because the Lord God has put it there. And he asks you to return some of that back to him and to be generous with it. It's not even really giving, it's returning because it's not even really ours, it's his. 
He just says, return a smaller portion back to me so that we can bless the world, so that we can build houses for people in need, feed children over the holidays, build orphanages in Haiti or Nicaragua, start schools and churches in different countries, and meet all kinds of practical needs here in the community and across the world. That's what happens when you give to Emmanuel. So I wanna encourage you, if you wanna practice generosity, to text the word GIVE to 65248 and set up an ongoing gift. We call it a reoccurring gift around here because a one-time gift is great and it is an act of generosity, but it's not a commitment. A commitment, to, a commitment would be to say, you know, every time I get paid, I'm gonna give a small portion of my income and that's what God would ask of you. So we'd encourage you to text the word GIVE to 65248 and set up an ongoing gift of, listen, as low as a dollar. Last week we had 19 people set up a reoccurring gift of $1 a week. Can we give God praise for that? Remember I got a little ornery last week? Remember that? No? Okay. I was getting loud. I was a little, okay. And then we also, so overall, since the series started, we have, we have 252 people set up a reoccurring ongoing weekly gift. Is that not exciting? Thank you so much for that. Maybe you've been waiting to, for, to get paid or whatever to figure this out. Maybe today's the day where you move onto that second mountain with a little bit of your resources, resources and you set up a reoccurring gift. Listen, no, no one can outgive God. God gave his very best. God is the ultimate giver. Jesus is the, the most generous being in the universe. Why? He gave his own life. No one can outgive Jesus. He gave himself to die on a cross for your sin and my sin. Listen to how Peter describes it in 1 Peter. Christ suffered for our sins. We talked about suffering today. No one has suffered quite like Christ in the crucifixion. The nails for the hands, the nails for the feet, the crown of thorns on the head, right? Being whipped on his back until there's no, no more skin left with a cat of nine tails, which was a whip with little pieces of rock and glass attached to the end. Christ suffered for our sins. He died for sinners. Why? Why did Jesus die for me and you? Did he die to set up a church building like this? Did he die to set up a religion called Christianity? No, not at all. Now we build churches to get the message out and we call it Christianity because we have to call it something, but Jesus didn't come to create a religion or churches. You know what he did? You know why he died? He died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. See, the problem with you and I is that sin separated us from God made us enemies of God in a sense. And Jesus came to reconcile. The biblical word is to reconcile. What does that mean? To bring two parties who were separated for whatever reason back together into fellowship. Christ died on the, sins to, on the cross for your sins to make that possible, to bring you home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life on the third day by the Spirit. Have you received the forgiveness of sins? Have you asked Christ to be your savior? If you've never done that, you must do it. You must do it. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. I'm not asking you to join our church. I'm not asking you to give money. I'm not asking you to become part of a religion. I'm asking you to come home to God. Be reconciled to God by trusting in Christ. If you'd like to make that decision right now and receive the generosity of Christ and the generosity of our heavenly father, take these words. Make them your own. Talk to God right now. Tell him that you love him and tell him that you're sorry for your sins and ask him to forgive you. Pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe you suffered and you died on the cross for me to wash away my sin, my guilt, 
my shame, to forgive me of all the wrongs I've ever done. I believe three days later, you came back to life, conquering sin, finishing off death, to bring me safely home to your Father. And so I trust you today. I put my confidence in you today. Make me your child by faith. And from this day forward, teach me to climb the second mountain as you did. Teach me to give as you did. To be generous like you were. To bless those in need. To think past myself. I pray this in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can we give God glory, church, amen? If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to put a starter kit in your hands for people who become what we call saved. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you would text the word saved to 65248, if you just prayed that prayer, we will put this in your hands through the mail. There is a Bible in here. There's a little information about how to get baptized and how to get connected to the church. And there's also a coffee mug in here, which is very important to read the Bible and drink coffee at the same time. So we put that in there for you. Can we give God glory one more time, church? Amen. Come on, nice and loud. Let's pray and then we'll hand things off to our local teams. Heavenly Father, help us to live a second mountain life. Help us to climb that second mountain, to give ourselves away, and in doing so, find joy, a pervasive sense of well-being. Fill our lives with satisfaction and fulfillment as we follow your example, Jesus, in giving in loving those around us, in climbing that second mountain. We love you. I hope that you're pleased today. I hope that you're smiling today on what you've seen and what you've heard in this service. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. We're going to hand things off right now to our local teams. Love you guys. Happy Thanksgiving.